0: Welcome to Episode 3, Season 2 of Something to Eat and Something to Read, a podcast by me, food writer Sophie Hansen and bibliotherapist Jermaine Lees about the comfort and joy we share in reading and cooking. Every episode we chat about a particular book, the shape it left on us and then we answer a listener letter with a reading and cooking prescription. Thank you as always for listening and a big, big thanks to our wonderful supporters. For $5 a month, you can also sign up to our Substack to receive all the recipes and show notes plus more for every episode. It will always be free to listen, but this support does allow us to keep recording and we are so grateful for it.
1: Hi, Jermaine. How are you today? Hi, Sophie. I'm really well and I'm feeling quite accomplished in the kitchen now (laughs) thanks to your souffle (laughs) recipe and step-by-step tutorial I um I would never have attempted a souffle had we not read dinner with Edward mm-hmm. and uh you decided to talk about souffles and for our subscribers we'll know having seen the video of the Step step-by-step and it I don't know it helped give me more confidence seeing you doing it while I did and I was amazed at they worked out and they tasted really good aren't they yummy it's just like um, cheese flavored air <laughs> I know it was actually and the whole family were impressed and it was fun as Stuart said to me thank you for bringing something new to the table (laughs) (laughs) it was a new experience for all I know for you cooking is all about getting your hands not dirty but like into Hmm. the ingredients and feeling them and I've never been good getting my hands into the ingredients and I remember even as a child I don't think I liked having play-doh stuck on my hands and things and I always have tried to avoid it in a way but with the separating the eggs I, I guess it was the end of a long day at work and it was one of the first times where I really felt that mindfulness come in through feeling the egg yolk not the yolk sorry the egg yolks didn't break <laughs> but the egg whites running through my fingers and I thought that was just a real change for me as well That like really getting my hands into the cooking and so anyone who was scared like me of um, making souffle uh, don't be, because this is actually a really enjoyable experience. So oh,
0: I'm glad thank you, you for liked that, it. Sophie. Pleasure. I've been making a few here, and if um, I'm on a roll. I made a chocolate one the other night and it was heaven. So I'll have to share the recipe for that one as well. But I'm glad that we've you know, oh. we've got a bit of a souffle fan club here going on in our little something to eat, something to read community. It's great.
1: <laughs> as I was reading, which I now realise is an a, uh, essay that you put onto your newsletter a while ago, but I was reading that this essay from Bon Appetit. I didn't know how to tell my guy friends I cared, so I learned to bake, and it reminded me of MFK Fisher's idea about this cooking for one stomach and mm-hmm. what we talked about in our last episode. I thought it'd be interesting just to talk about now because it really also brought back the way cooking can be used uh, in place of words, um, like this man says in this article when he started cooking brownies for his friends at school and he was emotionally feeling quite low and he didn't know how to communicate with his friends and he then decided to cook the brownies and as he said making real the warm thoughts you have for others and I thought that was a really lovely way to think about cooking
0: yeah, oh, 100%. I'm I'm a big believer in that cooking is kind of love made edible, really. You know, also with, with new friends or colleagues where you might not get to kind of feel comfortable telling them in, you know, in words how much you appreciate them or how much you care for them or how much mm-hmm. you're thinking about them going through a particular situation, making bringing in brownies and popping them on someone's desk what a beautiful thing to do and it takes all that pressure off putting things into words which aren't always easy for everybody so and also and brownies which we're going to talk about are basically just the best way to show love and that's something that our protagonist in today's book is also aware of so um, it's a bit of a segue. It's the way she shows love for herself isn't it? Yes definitely which I loved. Yeah so we'll definitely link to that expression baking article from brother Petit because i loved it as well and i love that idea of making real the warm thoughts you have for others
1: reminder that um it's something that men can do too isn't it Mm. because i was just thinking the other week i was talking to a a friend who's male and he was saying that he just bought his wife a whole lot of books for a birthday and he said i got all the recommendations from your podcast and i was like oh my gosh you actually listen to the podcast and yeah he made a joke about feeling like he was eavesdropping on a on a girl's (laughs) lunch or something but but he still found it interesting and helpful and he's really into cooking and and that was just then funny to then read this article which is all from a male perspective about how emotions can be expressed through baking and and I I guess this is another link to our book today because it's actually all about being equal isn't it Mm. men and women being more equal.
0: Absolutely. All right, well, I'm going to jump into our synopsis. So today's book is uh, Bonnie Garmus's Wonderful Lessons in Chemistry. I know a lot of you guys might have read it already, but if not, I'll give you a quick intro. So it's set in 1960s California, and it's the story of scientist Elizabeth Zott, who believes fiercely in equality and logic. Uh, After her career is sidelined by some pretty dreadful behaviours from some of her male colleagues and tragically losing her great love Elizabeth finds herself a single mother in need of an income and as Bonnie Garmus, the author tells us it starts with a children's lunchbox um, in her words the story was simple a child named Amanda Pine who enjoyed food in a way some therapists consider significant by the way I love that line <laughs> Um, was eating (laughs) Madeline's lunch this is because Madeline's lunch was not average Uh, so Amanda's father happens to work at a television station and where they have an afternoon slot to fill he's looking for a cooking show host so Zot Madeline's mum storms into Walter's office to demand that his daughter stop stealing Madeline's lunch Walter suddenly realizes he's found his unique talent for the new show and the story unfolds rather wonderfully from there But just back to those lunches that Elizabeth did pack. To be honest, after this description, the book's first chapter, I can't blame Amanda for coveting them. She writes, while all the other children gummed their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, Madeline opened her lunchbox to find a thick slice of leftover lasagna, a side helping of buttery zucchini, an exotic kiwi cut into quarters, five pearly round cherry tomatoes, a tiny Morton salt shaker, two still warm chocolate chip cookies and a red plate thermos full of ice cold milk. It's a story of courage, friendship, being true to yourself and I think showing respect and I think it really does show a lot of respect to a generation of women in the conservative 60s who were up against it. What do you Mm. think Jermaine? What's the Mm. shape that this wonderful book left on you?
1: Yeah I loved this book for so many reasons but actually I think it was the overall theme um, that grabbed me the most and that was that you don't have to be limited to what society says you can do. I um, loved how Elizabeth refused to be put in a box but in such a not in the box way it's like she didn't even see that the boxes society had put around her in some ways and that sort of made her even more inspiring and endearing for me because I just I loved her self-assuredness as there's a line it was the way she kept disagreeing without embarrassment without melodrama as if she would have the last say as if she knew she would win in the end and actually as soon as I finished reading this I I inhaled it like in a weekend and then I went on my deep rabbit hole dive into author interviews and things and um, and uh, yes, I listened to an interview with um, Bonnie Garmus and she describes Elizabeth as an equalist, not a feminist and she believes that any man or woman should be able to be who they want to be and forge their own path. I mean, I, I know she was fully aware of how she wasn't taken seriously because she was a woman and all those things, but there was something about that self belief uh, that she had that she just kept going. It's like she sort of bulldozed mm. her way through. She didn't make a fuss about it. She just did what she wanted to do, despite so many people trying to stop her. I thought it was really interesting that Bonnie Garmus is sort of similarly was breaking her own boxes um, because she became this is her first book and she's 65 and she started writing the book after um well she describes it in a fit of rage after being in a meeting filled with men I think she was a creative director and she suggested an idea and no one answered her and then five minutes later another man suggested the same idea and suddenly the whole table is very enthusiastic (laughs) and that's not in the 1960s that was you know in the 2000s and then so she started writing this book from that and she did a writing course she was saying through the literary agency Curtis Brown and at the end of the course the agent Felicity Blunt who happens to be the sister of Emily Blunt the movie star and the wife of Stanley Tucci she read her work and she signed her straight away and I think Felicity Blunt's about our age Mm -hmm. she felt that Bonnie's life experience meant her books would be unique and thought-provoking and I just thought how Refreshing now that age is seen now as a chance for sort of more wisdom and more mm-hmm. excitement, I suppose, and you've got more to say rather than it being this downhill slope. Mm. And as an aside to that, on my rabbit hole search, I discovered that Stanley Tucci was also um, helping market this book. he's made a video. He came up with a cocktail. In honor of Elizabeth called Cocktail for the Disenchanted Woman. <laughs> and I'll put it in the show note. It looks better for me than his Negronis. It's a lime and vodka mix. <laughs> it might be better than uh, the in um, last episode as well. What do you think? <laughs> yes. I think um, I think so. It was enchanting, Felicity
0: said. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that I also listened to a podcast about Bonnie Garmus talking about that meeting that she went to and and how mm. she almost sort of came home that night or the next morning and began writing the introduction the first chapter of this book and she said she imagined Elizabeth sort of sitting next to her saying well you think that was bad wait till you, I tell, you know wait till I tell you what happened to me and then oh yes and that's where it sort of started to fly off the page so I loved that bit of background as well.
1: Yes that's right she was so real to Bonnie before she started writing wasn't she I- I just think that message about women and boxes is so important like as Elizabeth says cooking is chemistry and chemistry is life your ability to change everything including yourself starts here it gave me that real sense that it's never too late to make a change and you're also never too old you know Elizabeth was in her early 40s wasn't she in the book but um you mm-hmm. know Bonnie's 65 and and I'm suddenly noticing that all around me because I'm um, a bit off the track of the Book, but well, actually, no, it's similar era. But remember, a few episodes ago, I prescribed Hilma Wallitz's short story collection. Today, Mm. a woman went mad in the supermarket. Which, by the way, my book club. She's now ninety. We loved it. your off the back of your recommendation,
0: I got all six of us reading it, and um, it was a great book club choice. Actually, short story books collections are great for a book club. I think lots to talk about. So, anyway, continue.
1: Oh no, that's so that's really good to hear. Um, and also she. Follows that couple kind of throughout mm-hmm. those short stories, doesn't she, Paulie? Yes, the yeah. thread. The thread, yeah. You know, she's ninety-two now, still writing, um, still has ideas, and she only got published in her mid-forties. And um, it was—I re- just heard her interviewed, and it was so interesting. After reading Lessons in Chemistry, she, when she started writing, it's the same era, really, is where this book set. And she said, you know, I was raised to be a housewife by a housewife and I took that very seriously. And she talked about how much she loved that domestic life and how that then became useful as literary fodder. She also felt this huge restlessness. So while she enjoyed living in the box society had put her in in that era, she also recognised she wanted something else and that second wave of feminism really gave her the permission to almost be allowed to want more. But the difference, I think, between the fictional Elizabeth and real-life Hilma was that Hilma made the point that she had to ask permission from society to let her be who she wanted to be. Her husband had to also sort of come round to that idea, and she talked about him feeling quite nervous that there was this shift happening in her. I think they worked their way around it by him now understanding she wasn't looking for freedom outside her marriage, but freedom for herself and her development, and she said something in this that I found so inspiring that she still feels at 92, there's this inner self that keeps striving for something else and something more and it's exciting. I just think that's the secret to longevity, really, that curiosity and that belief that there are still things to discover about yourself and explore. It reminded me that lessons in chemistry might be a little bit fantasyful to think that such Elizabeth could have really existed in that era and... The way that Hilma had to navigate the box to still be able to have this life for herself was obviously more realistic, and the lived experience of of America in the fifties and sixties. What you just said about the fa- fantasy bit, sort of
0: element of fantasy. I, I look, I love this book, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I did find elements of her character. Just slightly unbelievable. Like the fact that I mean, where did that mm. self-assurance come from? I mean, it was it's almost otherworldly, that complete ability to just kind of march forward onwards and onwards and not not let these terrible things that happened to her completely quash her. Like she's just sort of got this armor of fury. Um Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I loved I loved all that she achieved, but I wonder. Was it completely realistic? It doesn't have to be. I mean, it's a fiction, work of fiction, but mm. I wonder if if Elizabeth Zott could have really achieved all of that, maybe within the confines of that time. I'd love to think so. I hope so.
1: It's it's almost a bit like a parallel universe story. Just thinking about us talking about Rodham last time, mm-hmm. in that what would have happened to women in society in America then if there had been an, a supper at six? Oh, yeah. Imagine a show that really kind of created this change of status quo so maybe maybe it's um the fantasy of if one woman was able to do that how might have times been different but I agree with you I I, well I fell fell into the fantasy when I was reading the book thinking oh how brilliant how wonderful this non-boxes thing but listening to Hilma talk I thought yeah how hard Mm. how impossible would it have Mm. actually been
0: well maybe if if they weren't incredibly unique and strong person that Elizabeth was. I mean, not many people could just sort of keep marching forward with that unbelievable mm. confidence in her own right to be in that lab or in that television studio or in whatever. Um, I, I mean, I found it really inspiring and I loved it, but I, I wondered how real, I mean, I don't think I've ever come across anyone quite like that in real life. I'm sure they exist, but anyway I thought it was great I loved it but her her complete sort of bulletproof self-assuredness confidence was quite extraordinary to me
1: (laughs) I wonder if um she felt she had absolutely nothing to lose after losing Calvin and um yeah potentially and what happened in her family background it is interesting isn't it it's almost like do you need that extra bit of fantasy to kind of push your own thoughts into thinking how things can be different because I wonder if that's the shape it's left on me that I suddenly am noticing like life doesn't ever have to end or I mean your growth doesn't ever have to end your ability to change doesn't ever have to end and 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 I ended up discovering this book of short stories another talking of short stories and older women called cat brushing (laughs) this author Jane Campbell is 80 That's her first book Uh, she's a psychoanalyst as well I think she has group therapy but all her stories are about older women and their sensual, intellectual and emotional lives. And it questions the assumptions of aging and it's it's certainly not fantasical. It's quite brutal. It's very interior. It reminded me of Dinner with Edward in the way he talked about aging and what he had to let go of and that sensual life. But again, I just, it was really interesting to read a book that opened doors into lives and ages that I as I said in that last episode, there isn't enough written about older, much, mm. much older people. This one also really made me question assumptions and and just think outside the box. And this is I think what I think what this book gave me was this thinking outside the box. How I about you with your shape? Yes.
0: I mean I, I loved that and I've I just thought she Elizabeth is such a fabulous character. But there's so many fabulous characters in this book. I thought Walter was a really wonderful character. Harriet as well, who become her neighbor, who becomes sort of a nanny and and a friend. I love that. But you know, and what I really loved as well, I mean, there's a there's a really strong kind of feminist theme running through this book, obviously. And what you said before, she's not Mm. so much a feminist, but as an equalist. And I am not a scholar on on the different kind of waves of feminism or definitions, but I always just sort of think of feminism as being, you know. That men and women have equal opportunities and equal rights, and so I guess it, mm. that equalism thing is, you know, Bonnie Gamas has said. I've read a bit too since finishing it that she set the book in this decade as a as an ode to the women of her mum's era. Um, she said it was a salute mm. to a generation of overlooked women, and you know that it was such a conservative time, wasn't it, in America or everywhere really? You know, they they ran the home, they kept everything running smoothly, but within these boxes as you say so many restrictions they couldn't open a bank account they couldn't you know Mm. take birth control have a credit card they couldn't serve in a jury working outside the home was not easy and often they'd get fired if they Mm. became pregnant you know so it was really god like they were up against it and so within this context I loved how Elizabeth really took it took their home work seriously you know like she respected the running of the home and she made everybody aware that Mm. cooking meals for your family is an important thing to do you know it's it's serious work and you know she gave them serious knowledge to do that with you know she broke it all down she broke every recipe down And the food in this book isn't at all like dinner with edward it's not there's no souffles or fluffy you know (laughs) madelines or anything it's it's serious food that's delicious but nourishing and healthy and going to you know give everyone all the nutrients and proteins and everything that they need. But she didn't done the process down and she treated cooking like chemistry and she treated her viewers as peers. And I, I really loved that. And mm-hmm. I thought that was, for me, the thing that I really took away that was my biggest sort of impression is is that idea of giving these women respect and treating them seriously? And in, actually, in one scene in the book, I think one of the advertisers or something is sitting in the in the stage audience, studio audience, and he turns to a, a woman next to him and says, "What do you like so much about this show?" And she said, "Because she ta- that she takes us seriously." And I think not many people probably did take yeah. those housewives that seriously. So I really, I really liked that. And I just wish that there had been a show like Supper and Six at that time. You know, I think of my my grandmother and my well, not my mom. She was much later and different time. But, yeah, I, I think that mm. wouldn't it have been great if that show had actually existed? And I love this line. Oh, she's she's talking about making a chicken pie, a pot pie, and she talks about how the making the pastry mm-hmm. and she talks about stability and structure is what we need. She said, chemistry is inseparable from life from life. By its very definition, chemistry is life. But like your pie. Life requires a strong base in your home. You are that base. It is an enormous responsibility, the most undervalued job in the world, that done, nonetheless holds everything together. And I loved how she ended every episode with the line: "Children, set the table. Your mother needs a moment to herself." <laughs> so I think you know it was a really—it's definitely a book with really strong feminist, equalist currents through it. But I think that Elizabeth and Bonnie, the author, was, was really mindful of that time and the constraints that women were in, and and I thought it was really lovely how respectful she was and and really was a tribute to those women who you know didn't have any I mean many of the freedoms that we have even though we've still got a long way to go so that's what I thought about that yeah
1: (laughs) I agree with you there around the foundation that you are the foundation of the home and that's undervalued but you know critical you know for the success of your family I I, the the fact that she was really highlighting the importance of taking care of a family which echoes what Hilma's saying, where she mm. actually loved raising children and being the foundation of her home. It wasn't all of her. Mm. And I suppose that echoes in this too, where she's saying, take seriously this role, but don't lose yourself, mm. which is actually what Harriet says to her when she's got the newborn baby, Madeline, isn't its is, yes. um, You need to take that time to take reconnect with who you are. And that's, it's so true today isn't it it's so true for anyone who's a carer definitely or just up against it or
0: working hard or you know the, the, with sort of lots of demands on your time and your energy so yeah I loved that what are there, were there any other shapes that it left on you
1: should we talk a bit about the cooking in the book sure yeah absolutely then? I know you alluded to how it's nothing like Dinner with Edward, but it's good. It's a different day, a different book.
0: Yeah, and you know, I've actually got my grand's box of recipe cards, and that I, I don't open it open it very often because I think I've told you this before. But it actually still smells a little bit like her, so I kind of open the box every now oh, and then and have a sniff. But those sorts of casseroles, spinach casserole, pot pies, mushroom casserole, all that sort of stuff—a very functional food, wasn't it? You know, it was really, and also I guess that in the 60s in a lot of places you weren't um exposed to all the there certainly wasn't an Asian section of the grocery there wasn't Mexican there weren't all those things so mm. you know the the available ingredients were a bit more limited but yeah I thought I thought the food all sounded delicious uh just a bit more kind of functional and sensible and you know Elizabeth it was very far the, the food world that's created in this book is very far from, you know, the Julia Childs where she's just so into the food and loving it and licking her fingers or, you know, the Nigella's later or whatever. It's it's very much you know, the practical information you need to cook a tasty, nutritious meal for your family. And I think it's interesting. I read somewhere that Bonnie Garmus herself does not like cooking. She's not a someone who uh. really takes in enjoy- pleasure in cooking. Her husband, I think, is the cook in their home. And I could kind of tell that, not that the food didn't sound good. And I think there's only one time in the book, and we mentioned, we alluded to this before, where she cooks for pure pleasure, not just to sort of mm. nourish and feed and that's when she she's having a bad day and she scraps the eggplant dish she's making in favour of brownies and I think Madeline watching at home with Harriet says, oh, yeah, brownies for dinner again. <laughs> Other than that, <laughs> you know, it's all pretty kind of serious food and that's not a bad thing because she's a serious person and she treats her viewers seriously but just a different style, isn't it? What did you think of the food in the book?
1: Yeah, I thought, well, it was all very much an education, wasn't it? And And, and making, well, food, here i think was the metaphor for the seriousness of looking after a family and hmm. the, the responsibility of doing that well and um you know i laughed and there's that episode about mushrooms different kinds of the poisonous mushrooms oh, yes you know yeah. let's talk about not being appetizing i think yeah that with the brownies as so she's going to cook eggplant and she talks about the bitterness, why aren't you getting the bitter taste out? And again, it was that metaphor of how bitter she was feeling. And mm. so I thought food was used in quite a fun mm. metaphorical way. You know, but then it's something also about if you follow the recipe perfectly and use the perfect, like the chemistry of it, if you do that, then the food tastes amazing. Like there's, um, there's you know, with Walter's, daughter has the spinach casserole Mm. and ate the whole lot and there was that that little idea that if you do this properly then you know it pays off like Mm. it tastes as good as it's healthy and and that kind of thing.
0: I'm on a mission Mm. now to make a really good tasty spinach casserole and I'm going to send that out in my recipe newsletter to everybody because it's not the most exciting sounding thing is it a spinach casserole and I can just imagine (laughs) this sort of kind of 60s Tupperware dish but um, I'm sure gran has got a recipe in that box of tricks of hers, so I'll, I'll look through I'm and sure see what I, can, what I can come up with. It's it, certainly the food all does sound, sound fabulous. I also just would before we move on from the book, I want to say I loved how, and I know you had thoughts on this, the idea of family in this book and, you know, the families that you're born mm. with or the families that you make. And at the end she has surrounded herself with this really beautiful family yeah. and I loved that as well. I thought that was really special.
1: The family's out of the box too, yes, isn't it? Because it's this, you know, disparate characters who probably ordinarily wouldn't get on together, but all all have these really strong feelings um, about Elizabeth and all want to support her in their own way. And yeah, the end leaves you with a really strong sense of family Mm. that's not family from the box, no. no. And there's even the dog is Um, part of the family. Six thirty. What did you think of the dog? i I really like the dog. I know um I know oh, you're going to I think you're going to say that you found the dog a bit much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was funnily enough when um you'd said that to me before. I remembered one of the interviews she gave. she uh, apparently the dog was a much bigger character, oh. and Felicity Blunt suggested that she tone it down. It could have been worse for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not that but, um, I didn't have a. An- thought- Oh, sorry. No, no. I was going to say, uh, interestingly, though, the dog is the only real life, that 630 is the only character based on a real life dog that mm. she had. So she's actually written an essay, which I'll put in the show notes, about discovering her rescue dog. And um, it's a really lovely story.
0: Oh, no. I mean, I I loved the dog, and I'm, you know, mad about dogs, and I definitely anthropomorphize my dog, George, and talk to him a lot. (laughs) Um, But I just found parts of it were a bit of a jump for me oh, I sound like a bit of a bar humbug I mean and I did have to say I felt the same way about the parrot Claude in still life mm. love 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 still life but there, will sometimes the the Claude stuff I was like oh it's a bit much for me so uh and I am a definite right. animal lover but but that's a small thing I mean I, I absolutely adored it and actually back to that mention of still life I think that's another book which really so beautifully captures this concept of family as the people you surround yourself with as well as the people Mm. you're born into. I love that as well.
1: One other thing I thought Mm. would be interesting to talk about, in another interview she talked about how she had to create a Spotify playlist Mm. for the book and I looked it up and it is a a whole lot of songs from that era, Frank Sinatra and Nina Simone and those sorts of We listened to it last um, night while I was making dinner. It's nice. Good. Oh, there you go. And I just thought it was really interesting that this is becoming such a thing now. Like, I've read books where the author has released a playlist of the music they listen to while writing. So it's almost like getting into their head of inspiration. But this felt very much more like it was sort of set to be read alongside it. And it just got me, you know, we keep talking about using our senses for like well being and things. But now suddenly, all these extra sense things are starting to creep into books too. And I don't know, I just wondered what you thought of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I love a playlist. I'm constantly creating playlists. So I'm, I'm, and I'm also, I really enjoy when a book comes with a playlist or, you know, other sort of suggestions to sort of, it's a Mm. bit of world building really, isn't it? You know, it it helps you kind of create this feeling and, and sensation, especially while you're reading a book. You know, if you were reading um, lessons in chemistry and that night you might listen to the playlist while you're cooking your own dinner, it really helps you kind of, I guess, immerse yourself into mm. that world. Thinking about the senses and reading and listening, I was, got me thinking about audio books because I know you as well, but I, I listen to a lot mm. of them. I'm, I live out of town and spend a lot of time in the car and on my own cooking. And and, and so I do really, a lot of the books I consume, I listen to at the moment, But I'm always doing something else. You know, I'm driving, I'm paying attention to the road, or I'm cooking, or I'm folding laundry. But when I sit and read a book, that's all I'm doing. So I wonder Mm. if I'm more present with my senses then. Although, and I was reading about this yesterday because I sort of went down a little wormhole about it. And, you know, there is an argument, and I'll link to the article about this that walking while listening to a book can embed the story into our brains differently and more significantly Mm. sometimes so if you I guess if you're just
1: walking and listening I find this so fascinating what do you think about that yeah it's really interesting isn't it because I also know that they say that with studying um, walking and listening to a lecture or studying can help embed that more as well Mm. I find with audiobooks I struggle with the fiction ones, um, to keep track or to keep focused. Mm. I don't know if it's because when I read I become very immersed in the words and things. Whereas nonfiction memoir, I do consume a lot of that on audiobooks. And I think it's I was actually at a dinner last week and uh people were talking about, well, are audio books really reading or are they have you have you consume the book in the same way or is it like but then it's all story isn't it Mm. like you're still consuming story and literature and uh through your ears rather than through your eyes perhaps I'm all for stories being part of everyone's life in whatever way they can get into their Mm. hands so I don't really have a strong view either way but it's interesting reading the research that comes out around um around reading and well-being.
0: Mm. But haven't we always, since time immemorial, sat and listened to stories? You know, not necessarily... Yeah, you know, around the path, ...around the <laughs> campfire or before people could all afford books, someone would, you know, consume a story and then share it orally. So I guess it's nothing new. It's just... I think for me, when I'm doing something else like cooking, I, I don't think I could kind of take in a book like War and Peace or anything really... Um, language heavy mm. or really um, you know certain books that the words are almost like poetry and they're really each sentence is crafted so thoughtfully whereas other you know books that are just have got a really kind of bouncy jumpy plot that can really carry me along I think they're better for me yeah. to listen to but anyway we digress shall we move on to our letter do you think should we say goodbye to Elizabeth yes. and her world for for now
1: But holding on to the fact that we can constantly change and be open to things outside our boxes.
2: (laughs) Mm,
0: Yes, and to not be defined by those boxes as well. I think that's a good lesson that Elizabeth... I think if you can hear a weird squawking noise, it's that's the guinea fowl who kind of haunt my life at the moment. They're at the back door and they're so noisy. So I'm sorry if that's what you can hear. I think
1: um, <laughs> the guinea fowl were present during your souffle tutorial as well. I was <laughs> Just, wondering if it was guinea fowl. They're ever dust. present. They're the omnipresent. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> Do they keep the snakes away? Is that Allegedly, the, that's the apparently. Detail, we haven't had them in a
0: full summer yet, so I will report back. But we had a, a fox up near the Chooks the other day and they made a huge flap and a fuss and I think they might have chased the fox away, so that's Oh, great. That's good. So they're earning the keep even though they're driving me a little bit spare. <laughs> On to our letter. So here we go. Hello, Sophie and Jermaine. I have been signed up to your mailing list for quite a while, but I just started listening to the podcast after a recent breakup. I find listening to you both so comforting, like sitting around the table with dear friends. That's beautiful. Thank you. With all my extra Mm -hmm. time lately, I have been reading a lot. I love memoirs and reading about real people's stories. However, I realized the last three books I read were all about death and grief, Crying in H Mart, The Mother Wound, and Found Wanting. And they were pretty intense reads. As much as I loved them and crying along with the authors, I also work in a school on the wellbeing team, and lately it seems like there's a lot of heaviness and sadness around me, especially in the lives of beautiful young people. I love cooking, but I've been finding it hard to be motivated without anyone to cook for regularly anymore. And being winter, I just want to snuggle up on the couch with an uplifting book, some good food, and maybe a glass of wine. Thank you for your friendly, comforting voices in a time of chaos, heaviness, and uncertainty. Well, you are so very welcome. Jermaine, would you like to start mm. with your book? I can't wait to hear what you've got to say for this because I think we could all use with something <laughs> uplifting.
1: uplifting. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm really struck with that sort of um, chaos and heaviness and uncertainty, and it's taken me back to um, what was prescribed for World War II soldiers, which we've talked about before, that Jane Austen was this remedy for people who were living with a lot of chaos, heaviness and uncertainty and for that simple reason of there being no nasty surprises and a way of returning restoring some sort of form of calm. Oh no, I was just gonna say, have you heard of the new book?
0: I heard um the author talking in conversations the other day. I think it's called The Jane Austen Cure. Have you come across come across this Oh tale? yes. That sounds quite interesting. Is that what yeah. that, this is about? Is it a similar kind of topic?
1: That that's another memoir and mm-hmm. that's about how Actually, and another older woman. Yes, that's what oh, it's such me. a we've just put yeah. together yeah. she's in her late eighties and mm. she got a PhD in her eighties about Jane Austen. I think she was an educator. Yeah, and I think then she was a teacher. It was around Jane Austen and Yeah, right. And then her PhD was on um a different way of reading Jane Austen, I think. But yes, that book is about her rereading of all the Jane Austen books that are in her 70s where she actually bought where she had a small inheritance and she bought a little cottage in the southern highlands and Mm. then she took herself off there she left her husband behind they're still married but she sort of went on a sabbatical set herself the task of reading all of Jane Austen's novels and then thinking about her life alongside that so bibliotherapy in action really it's it's using the book trying to reflect Jane
0: Austen Remedy yep so anyway sorry for interrupting but
1: that was interesting so yes so slightly different but yes that perfect thing of use a book to enter into your inner world and really reflect on what you want to change another very inspiring reminder that you can do anything at any time at any age exactly actually you might have just done the a book prescription there Sophie for our letter writer <laughs> no it's just that I listened to it I think yesterday and um it got me
0: thinking but it was a great conversation so as they always are on that podcast but we'll share the link yeah. and everything as
1: well there's a Sydney Writers Festival podcast of her in conversation around rereading oh. and what rereading means to her uh oh, which is really worthwhile listening to as well good I do have a couple of other authors too so when I think about well, no, not our equivalent Jane Austen. I don't mean that, but in terms of a similar feeling of life being very gentle and calm, I think of um Alexander McCall Smith. You know, like uh, years ago, read a, a critic saying this, and I think it's just a perfect way to describe his writing. There's wisdom in inviting readers into a world of kindness, gentility, and creature comforts. The literary equivalent of herbal tea and a cozy fire. <laughs> And so obviously Alexander McCall Smith has written numerous and numerous books and series, but the one I've decided to prescribe for our letter writer, or the first book in one of his, I think his newest series called The Department of Sensitive Crimes. So if she likes those British TV murder mysteries like Midsummer Murders, you know, those very gentle kind of shows about crime, um, (laughs) I think she'll really enjoy it. (laughs) It's set in Sweden and marketed as Scandi Blanc rather than Scandi Noir. <laughs> so it kind of gives us a bit of a parody happening. It's focused on Detective Varg and the other detectives who work in his department where they're sent to investigate these really strange and puzzling cases, which it's actually an adult version of Encyclopedia Brown, really. They're very okay. tame crimes yeah. that they have to solve. But alongside um, work, he has um, he's in love with his co-worker and he's also very concerned about the health of his hearing impaired dog who is the only dog in Sweden who can lip read <laughs> so and actually it's another book with a dog as a character like um, with his. But, oh yes he's got the lip reading vocab but I don't think he has his own thoughts okay but yes it's a it's a book filled with quirky characters and um and I think it's just a lovely reminder that that the world is actually filled with really good people and um Alexander McCall Smith's a lover of poetry and philosophy as well, and he, he gives that love to Detective Barg. So there's this lovely smattering of philosophy and lines from um, Auden and and it just helps create the uplifting feeling, I think, that the, the writing leaves. So I hope if our letter enjoys this one, there are also two more so far in the series, so it's kind of an ongoing gift of um, uplifting words
0: oh don't you love it when you finish a book that you've loved and you discover there's two more or one more in the series it's always such a treat oh that sounds great thank you so much I've I'm actually not I don't think I've ever read an Alexander McCall Smith which I'm embarrassed to admit but um this could be my place to start so well if
1: you like that kind of Midsummer Murdery sort of feel and quirky characters it's a good place to start I personally love the Isabel Dalhousie series, which is the Sunday Philosophy Club, which is another just very gentle domestic drama. Thanks, Jermaine. That sounds really
0: Hmm. fabulous. Okay, so for my cooking recommendations I've been thinking about cooking for yourself and it's another theme from last episode this um, we talked about this quite a lot didn't we and uh, our friend MFK Fisher you know treating yourself with infinite courtesy I love this <laughs> that concept so I would say not to be repetitive but I would say make yourself a souffle one day because that is you know such an <laughs> easy thing to make for yourself and you could even do two and one because of course one will sink and then that's your double baked souffle for for the next And to kind of re that up, you just, it's not very healthy, but you pour over a little bit of cream and grate some extra parmesan on top and put it in the oven and it will kind of puff back up to life. Not quite to great heights, but it will be delicious. And I have a few more thoughts. So rather than just one recipe, I'm just going to share a few ideas of things that sound like heaven to to cook for myself and you might like as well. One thing I think salmon riettes, I just love the idea of making a little pot of riette hot smoked salmon and salmon and you know stir it through with some herbs and some lemon juice a little bit of cream cheese whatever I've got a recipe I'll share with you and you know if you made yourself a little plate of that with um, a handful of really good Mm. chips maybe some pickle some pickle Mm -hmm. slice some cucumber or maybe just some thinly sliced toasted baguette or something like that and a gin and tonic or glass of wine and then prop up your book and then just sit there and kind of eat your beautiful plate I think that would be heaven and not too heavy but a real treat. And then the Rietz would be a great lunch next day, just sandwiched on some bread between t- some bread with some lettuce, maybe. Mm. So I think you can't go wrong with some Rietz. The next thing I would say in Ella Risbridge's new book, Year of Miracles, which we're doing soon and I can't wait. I'm reading it at the moment, Jermaine, and it's just heaven. Mm. You're going to love it. There's a recipe she does. It sounds good. Like breakfasty, but I would hundred percent have this for dinner where you poach an egg really, really slowly, like takes quite a while and it's quite a process. I mean, it's easy, but just takes a while. And then you kind of just poach it in in a bit of yogurt and then um, you sort of slip it onto a bit of bread with some chili oil and it just sounds like heaven. So that, and I'll link to that as well. I also have just started I've just paid for a new Substack newsletter called Anchovy Trove. I'm not sure if you've come across it before, but I haven't heard of that. Instagram kind of came across my radar and has been haunting me. So I was like, right, I've got to pay for this because I need these recipes and it's just amazing. <laughs> the recent recipe he did was for pickled chicken breast. You can sort of tell that I love my pickles, but basically like skinless, bonus chicken breast is not the most exciting thing in the world, but they are really convenient, especially if you're cooking for one and, you know, you can buy a pack of two and freeze one or whatever, but they can be a bit blur, not anymore. So basically you, you, if you've got like a jar of green olives and you basically tip the brine of that into a little bag or into a dish and brine your chicken breasts, just sort of leave them overnight or a couple of hours and it really does sort of tenderize the meat and then you kind of fry them off and um in this anchovy buttery capery sauce and then serve them with the the, the olives and some greens and some bread or whatever and oh my god i made it the other night it's the most delicious chicken and really really Mm. easy just need one pan a few ingredients that you will i'm probably having the fridge so actually my mouth is watering thinking about that's so good so something like that I think <laughs> and the final thing I would suggest is a brothy fragrant noodle soup you know that is one of my favorite things to eat oh, and yeah. especially on your own because it takes time to have to eat one of those big brothy noodle soups especially mm. if made yourself. so you can just sort of prop up your book in front of you and make your beautiful big bowl of noodles and soup and I've the recipe I'm going to share with you guys it's got wontons in it as well and just read and take your time and what I do if I've got that if I'm eating my eating my own I bought for like two dollars from Ikea a book cookbook stand but it's the best thing so I put my book on that oh, yeah. so that's up and then I'm eating my <laughs> noodle soup. it's just heaven and it's light again you don't feel like overwhelmed or overloaded with food at the end it's just engages all the senses so I would just say make yourself things that are uplifting like not just reading uplifting things but food that's uplifting that's zingy mm. and tangy and bright and fresh like you know your riettes or that beautiful softly poached egg or a pickled chicken or brothy noodle soup food that really delights and surprises and i'm going to link to all of those in the show notes
1: that sounds amazing sounds i like that it all sounds good i think um the chips with the <laughs> salmon <It> here <laughs> sounds really nice and decadent well i'm thinking if she's reading a book set in Scandinavia then the yes, pickles with definitely the chicken could be good and then maybe Stanley Tucci's uh cocktail for the disenchanted woman might uplift nice one
0: full circle oh yeah I'm definitely definitely going to try that cocktail <laughs> because it sounds yeah it sounds delicious and zingy and bright but not um not too far. oh actually on.
1: yes there's limes it yeah. is zingy.
0: yeah great oh wow there's so much to cook and eat and read from this episode I- I'm glad we're yes. doing these monthly at the moment because <laughs> there's just too much you need to run to catch up on. <laughs> so all the links and um, recipes are going to go out to our beautiful subscribers and you can become one too if you like by visiting our Substack, something to eat and something to read at substack.com. And I'm going to do a special recipe one with the Elizabeth's brownies and I'm going to take a couple of weeks to master the spinach casserole in a way that's going to make <laughs> us all it's say what Amanda course. said, which was the best thing that she's ever eaten, which is a tall order. I'm on the case, so uh, watch this space. Is there anything else you wanted to it share before we wrap up
1: for today, Germaine? No, oh, I think that's it. As you say, there's been so many books and um, recipes talked about this episode. It's, well, it's great. They so, but very inspiring, and aging is oh, now I love I'm, this. very inspired by. Thank you for bringing um, all of those threads and in. And our next book is our next book, The Year of Miracles. Actually, I think it might be.
0: It's an absolutely beautifully written recipe book slash memoir that I think you'll mm. all love. Ella's first book, Midnight Chicken, is also really worth reading. I, yeah. I've actually dip in and out of that quite a lot. They're the sort of books that sit on my bedside mm. table and you can just sort of pick up a chapter at any stage and dive into it. So anyway, I've got a lot, a lot to say about that for next time. Please, if you have um, anything you want to ask us, we are always looking for letters. So mm. write to us. You can email me at sophie__hanson at me.com send us a message on Instagram however you want to message us or send us a voice note we would love a voice note but I know that's not super comfortable for everyone if you want to be anonymous etc although I'm sure there's a way we can like muffle or do one of those filters of your voice but and (laughs) what do our
1: letter writers get Jemaine they get a little special treat they get a case of Highgate wine of their choice from single vineyard sellers so lots of reasons to write to us Yes, and our next episode, you
0: are going to be sitting right here at my kitchen table. You're coming to Orange to record, which I'm so excited about. So we'll be I know, in person. I can't wait. But in the meantime, thank With you so much. Cow. With the guinea fowl. With the guinea fowl. I know, I'll have to shoo them away. They'll get excited because there's a visitor. Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs> are we really... we really imagine that you're all kind of sitting at the table with us listening and we just wish we could chat with you mm. more. But we're cooking up a couple of events actually where we will be able to do that in Sydney later in the year and we'll share some yeah. more information about ah. that. And that's about it. Thank you so much to our wonderful producer Chrissy Reading. Thank you for stitching this together and sort of smoothing over all the ums and ahs. And <laughs> to Smith and Jones for allowing us to use your beautiful music at the beginning yeah. and the end of each episode. We are eternally grateful. Uh, so that's it from me. And um, Thanks Jermaine. We'll see you it's- in a couple weeks.
1: Yes, I look forward to seeing you in Orange. Yes. Okay.
0: <laughs> all right. See you soon.
3: Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye. Sometimes I get to thinking I ought to take up drinking just to drown out all these memories. Maybe I could down a. Window If It'll bring some peace But I ain't a drinking girl I'm just a small-town woman Trying to find my way in a lonesome world And I ain't a whiskey girl I'm just a small-town woman Trying to walk a straight line in a crooked
4: When I wake up in the morning My mind, it starts a-wandering Wanting to roam its way right out of my head And I get to thinking back Small town woman trying to find my way in a lonesome world. I ain't a southbound girl, I'm just a small town lady trying to walk.
3: self-medicate you right off of my mind oh maybe
4: i could take some morphine god knows it's pain relief i need it works better than waiting for some holy sign but i ain't a medicating girl i'm just a small town woman I'm just a small town lady trying to walk a straight line in a crooked world. I'm just a small town woman trying to walk a straight line in a crooked